Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. Today, we're back with the third entry in our three films that got you through the 2020 pandemic interview series. And for those of you who are just tuning in, in this series, I will be speaking with a wide variety of friends, colleagues, and professionals working in the the film industry, largely in my backyard of Oklahoma. I'll be talking with each guest about how the pandemic has impacted their line of work before talking about the three films that helped them get through it all. So firstly, I just want to make a disclaimer. This episode came a week late. Uh, those of you who were tuning into the the news last week knows that Oklahoma, not nearly as much as Texas, but Oklahoma was negatively impacted by power rolling power outages and water outages. And uh, I myself am included uh, in that group. Uh, so unfortunately, it did impact my ability to edit and finalize the audio for this episode on time. So thank you to all of my listeners who have been bearing with me uh, as we missed our drop date last week. But enough on that. I'm really excited to Focus on the great show we have ahead of us today. Today, I'm joined by a pair of very special guests from the Good Trash Media Network, first-time guest Arthur Gordon, and returning guest Dalton Stewart. Arthur and Dalton are two of the three co-founders of the Oklahoma-based podcast network, the Good Trash Media Network, and also two of the three co-hosts of the Good Trash Genre Cast, the network's main show. I'll be talking with Arthur and Dalton about how the pandemic impacted the production of their show. We'll also discuss how the pandemic challenged Arthur and Dalton to consider reworking some of their programming before getting into each of their three film selections that got them through the 2020 pandemic. Before we go any further, I did want to quickly note that if you enjoyed today's interview, please consider leaving us a rating and a review and a follow or subscribe on your preferred podcast app. It really is the most impactful way you can support the show at this time. In particular, if you're using Apple Podcasts or the podcast app, another way to participate in this special series is by emailing your three films to me at the cinematropolis at gmail.com. Or you could even consider sharing your picks by following us on Twitter at the Cinematrop or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cinematropolis. You can send us your picks for a chance to have those picks read on the show later in the series. Now, we're going to be talking at length with Arthur and Dalton here, but I did want to provide a little bit of info about Good Trash Media before we jump in. According to their website, GoodTrashMedia.com, Good Trash Media was birthed out of one simple idea, to have an intelligent conversation about film and pop culture. Launching in the fall of 2012, the original Good Trash genre cast, which they uh, also call GTGC, originated from the University of Central Oklahoma's Film Society. Dustin Sells, Arthur Gordon, Dalton Stewart, and a carousel of guest hosts comprised of faculty and students began to get their show off the ground. And what was the goal of the show? Well, the goal was to apply film, sociological, and literary theory to movies that you wouldn't normally talk about in a film studies course. And in fact, they're going to provide a few examples throughout today's interview. Now, I don't want to take away from anything that Arthur and Dalton will provide on the show uh, throughout our conversation today, but I did want to quickly provide you uh, some background on my personal connection with the Good Trash Media Network. 
When I graduated from college in 2013 and was in the midst of pursuing podcasting, writing, and content creation as a career, I was very fortunate to connect with the Good Trash Genre cast through one of the hosts and my good friends at the time, Dustin Sells, uh, where they were kind enough to invite me to be a recurring guest host for a couple of years, between essentially between uh, 2012 and 2016. And then in January of 2016, I became a temporary member of the crew. At the time, I was a recurring host on the Good Trash Genre cast, and I also uh, produced and co-hosted a separate weekly review show with Arthur Gordon on the network called Back to the Movies, and that ran from 2016 all the way through early 2017. So needless to say, Arthur, Dalton, and myself go way back, so today's interview uh, for me personally, it was a lot more like catching up with old friends. Without further ado, let's go ahead and hear from Good Trash Media's Arthur Gordon and Dalton Stewart. We are so excited to be joined by a pair of very special guests. Now, these these two podcasters are some really good friends of mine who I used to run with back in the day on um, just the world of podcasting and movie podcasting, all the things. Um, we we're so excited to be joined by uh, two of the co-hosts of the Good Trash Genre cast and the Good Trash Media co-founders. Uh, first up, I want to welcome Arthur Gore to the table. Arthur, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me, Kayla. This is uh, a lot of fun. I like the idea quite a bit. Awesome, man. Well, it's uh, honestly, I'm just happy to see you and see uh, see my friends in this weird. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, Dalton Stewart, uh, also another co-host of the Good Trash Honor cast and Good Trash Media co-founder. Welcome to the Cinematic Schematic. Hello. Uh, what is this? Second, third time? I've been on the Cinematic Schematic before. Yeah, a couple times. It's been a Dude, minute, but, but it's yeah. been a couple times. Mission Impossible, uh, the last one. Fallout? No. Yeah, the the oh, most, the one, yeah, the one where Superman got punched off a cliff or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> and he and he had the. I, I still maintain he has one of the greatest mustaches I've seen in quite a while. So <sighs> mustache, a, a, a multi hundred million dollar mustache at that. Yeah, it is uh, enough to create an entire movement of Zack Snyder fans to mobilize and demand another cut of a movie. Yeah, I guess there was nothing more important for them to be thinking about the last two years. No, not at all. Just just give him the the mustache free version. Apparently, they gotta get those subscribes. <laughs> that's another. That's gonna be another podcast series because I'm morbidly curious about this entire Zack Snyder thing. I'm gonna watch it, and I want to watch. Not only do I watch this this movies that I'm convinced are gonna be bad, I really just want to see the conversation unfold. It's gonna be weird. It's like going to a NASCAR race knowing there's gonna be train wrecks or car wrecks. <laughs> <laughs> that's accurate. Um, okay. Well, guys, um, how are we doing today? We're recording on a Saturday morning, so I'm, I'm just uh, honestly thankful that you guys are, are carving some valuable Saturday time out to talk with me. Uh, Arthur, how's it going? Uh, good. You know, I mean, all things considered, uh, it's, it was a really weird year in general, just because as you two alluded to off mic, you've been working from home. I've been going to the office every day, uh, which kind of changed my uh, it didn't feel as real, I guess, in a lot of ways, if that makes sense, you know? Uh, so, but for the most part, I'm, I'm doing good. 2021 is here. Uh, it's already been off to a wild start. Uh, so we'll see where it goes, but, uh, I'm feeling good. Uh, a lot of good things going on in my life personally. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm in, I'm in a good place. 
For clarity for listeners, uh, whenever you're listening to this, we are recording this on uh, Saturday, January 9th. So cross-reference some dates. It was a crazy week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Dalton, 2020, we made it through. And, and yes, you and I both had the, the, the benefit to uh, to work from home but uh, this, in, in, that, in that year and still currently. Uh, how are you today? I'm I'm sorry I, I I'm lost. Did something big happen this week? <laughs> uh, no, I'm up to it good. I, yeah, relatively speaking, still, you know, uh, I started uh, the old Well Butte uh, this year. That was good. So hey, you know, if if ever there was a year to go to your brain mechanic and make sure uh, the levels are right, 2020 was the year to do it. Uh, you know. It's cool to be on meds. If you need to be on meds, folks, I recommend it. Uh, what else? Uh, I got to go to the eye doctor yesterday. It was nice to be out of the house for that. You know, that was cool. Um, Arthur bought a house. It was just nice to see Arthur buying a house. It was <laughs> great to be excited for a friend. Well, thank you. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, you know, it, it's, it still feels like more of the same. The, the 2021 hasn't really... Uh, come into focus for me just yet but uh part of that is like i said i had to go to the eye doctor so boo. hard hard to say if oh yeah that was bad i don't boom boom me right off the podcast um uh, really it's no 2021 vision oh, it's early early in this recording for the dad jokes yeah i really just stepped in it huh yeah, uh, yeah no things are going all right uh got to do lots of uh stuff with friends you know at, at the end of the day that that was uh something that made 2020 very nice was uh, getting to spend uh, uh, a lot of time with the missus, although uh, too much time for both of us, uh, a couple of moments. Uh, but also, uh, you know, I, I got on uh, Discord in a pretty big way this year. Uh, my friends, Heath and Alex, who host the Praise Down, have a, have a really fun server that I joined and, uh, you know, play a lot of games together, watch a lot of movies together. So, uh, you know, the, the ways uh, to find fun were, were pretty cool in 2020, you know, and it, it Net ended up being more time spent with people I probably wouldn't have otherwise, you know, friends from out of state um, that I, I wouldn't have got to spend as much time with as I did end up. So, you know, there were positives to be found if you went looking for them, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I'm really glad you, you mentioned that because it, it's been a weird year really having to shift stuff around. But I also have found I have I've had friends this year I, I hadn't talked to in like 10 years that I've had Zoom calls with just because it's just like, man, that rules. Well, well, you know, we're all like going through the same thing in our own way, and you kind of have that connection. And I don't know, it this year really has had me reconsidering a lot of just everything, you know, whether yeah. it's like personal life choices, career choices, um, mental health. Um, it's hard like, not to, right? Yeah. A lot of time stewing, Dalton stewing. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I'm. I, I think that's. I think that that's a common feeling. And yeah, positives being though, there, there we've really found ways for those who seek it out to to stay connected with close friends and reconnect with old friends. And um, so definitely a silver lining there. Now, uh, of course, Dalton, you've been on the show like you, you mentioned a couple different times. So you are no stranger to the cinematic schematic, and you've talked a little bit about Good Trash Media before, but I, I thought it might, this would be a good opportunity just to really spotlight you guys, like your history, what you've done, and, and exactly how maybe the pandemic has uh, impacted you know, how you guys are creating content, recording podcasts. Arthur, if you wanted to give a, a little history on Good Trash Media and what you're about, and then Dalton, you can tell us a little bit about the, the premise of the genre cast specifically, and about how long have you guys been doing it? You just hit episode 
I should stop listeners. They hit episode 400 the week of this recording, and that is no small feat for any podcast. 400 episodes is is an incredible achievement. If for nothing else, that means you guys kept doing the same thing for this long, (laughs) which I think is still pretty impressive. So um, let's let's learn a little bit about the history. Uh, Arthur? Yeah, so uh, Good Trash Media, I guess, in general, uh, was something we came to, gosh, what was that, 2014, 2015? Somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, we wanted to kind of launch a uh, a brand where we could elevate other you know podcasts. We had other projects we had wanted to work on, um, so Good Trash Media kind of became the home of that. And so we started GoodTrashMedia.com. So if we wanted to write articles, we had a place to do that or write reviews. Um, you know, if we wanted to start a new podcast about Hitchcock or classic movies or just general reviews, uh, we had kind of a platform for that built in, and then. Um, all probably got a little bit ahead of ourselves in that that regard, but I, I think it's become at least a foundational building block for you know, especially I think Dalton has a lot of these connections of of voices who who want to make podcasts, and so it's kind of become a place where we could help, you know, at least try to give them a a, a bit of a platform or at least give them a bit of a uh, jumping off point where we can at least aid them in getting started, you know, giving them some ideas. Um, we try to put some of those on the website when we can, uh, if we can get it figured out, we've, uh, had a number, you know, come through there, uh, like the praise down, um, Twilight, uh, which has kind of been a sister spinoff show, uh, hosted by Kirsten Thurkelson and, uh, Aaron DeMoss, uh, which is just a discussion of the Twilight franchise in general, kind of movie by movie, episode by episode, topic by topic. Uh, and so that's been a lot of fun to watch and they're actually, I think, getting ready to start and branch out and do their own thing. Uh, on their own feed with their own, you know, uh, channel, however you want to say it. Um, and they've currently kind of just rested in our RSS feed as like almost like a bonus show, I'd say, branded under their their title. But now they're going to kind of branch out to do their own thing, which I think is really cool. Uh, and so, you know, Good Trash Media was always about a, I think, analytical devotion to discussing genre fare that some people might just write off as trash, right? And so that, I mean, that was also the foundation of the the podcast, which Dalton can get into. But I think at the end of the day, it was it was a way to discuss pop culture and media in a new light with a serious critical analysis lens. Um, but without, I think, all of the kind of uh, pretension, I think, that sometimes comes with film analysis and review. And, you know, that's something we all always avoided, I think, Everybody who was ever involved, you know, whether it was you, Caleb, or Alex, or Dalton, or Dustin, like everybody's very smart and very intelligent and very well read and very knowledgeable about the subject. But we approached it in such a way that was, I think, much more personable and fun, uh, without being belittling or demeaning to the, the the stuff we were talking about. Yeah, I mean, and of course, like the the style of the show is is much more casual and fun. It just really feels like you're sitting down and having drinks with your your buddies and just talking about stuff in a really, like you said, smart way. But it's not like we're not, we were. Not, it was never about taking it too seriously, right? You're just like, hey, we're gonna just like what what about this movie stuck out to you? And um, I think with that, uh, of course, um, Arthur, thanks for giving us the rundown of like Good Trash Media, the brand and the website. But of course, that all originated with the Good Trash genre cast, like your, your flag show that was um, that came long before uh, Good Trash Media. Uh, Dalton, can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, the the flagship show, as you say, um, I, I guess it makes sense that I'll start because Arthur was uh, there from the beginning, but he actually didn't watch the first movie we did, <laughs> which was uh, John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13. It was just Dustin and I. But uh, I have seen it since uh, then, though, so. You know, there you go. Uh, all of us were furthering our educations. I, I had uh, gotten associates and was picking up a bachelor's at uh, UCO. Uh, Dustin and Arthur were getting their masters, and uh, you know, I took a film crit class as an elective because I, I needed some electives. Uh, that seemed good. Uh, we met. We hit it off. Uh, Dustin mentioned that he was wanting to start a podcast, and I can't shut up. Uh, so I was obviously excited by that idea. So uh, we got the ball rolling on it, and it just kind of kept happening. Uh, you know, we, we used to have kind of a roundtable of folks that we, you know, knew through classes or that we were, uh, you know, uh, that attended UCO with us. Um, that's the the University of Central Oklahoma for you non-locals. Uh, let's go liberal arts schools. Yay. Anyway, um, uh, and that's honestly, if there are regrets uh, about the uh, 400 episodes, it's honestly that probably that we didn't stay in touch with any of those folks that we recorded with uh, back in our, our university days because they were, you know, a cool gang of folks, man. Uh, and that was the, those early episodes are rough in terms of production because uh, we were mostly just using internal, you know, PC mics uh, for a while. And then we, we, we did eventually get a little bit more fancy even in those early days, but we still, we hadn't quite figured like what's the appropriate number of people to have on mic, things like that. But there's some fun to be had in those early episodes if you go all the way back. But yeah, as you said, we've been doing it for eight years, about four into it, three or four into it. We, we started the, the media network and Caleb, you were obviously there with us helping that. And as Arthur said, that, that can get a little uh, dicey. Uh, but the thing that has always remained constant is is the genre cast. You know, there have been a rotating uh, crew of people come through. You know, we had that that roundtable sort of vibe in those early days. Uh, Alex Bohannon joined for several years, uh, and then you as well, Caleb, for a couple of years. Uh, but at a certain point, um, you know, I we were all moving. Dustin and I, uh, it was just the two of us for a little bit, and then Arthur couldn't stay away. He didn't know how to quit us. Uh, the feeling was mutual. Uh, and as Arthur was kind of alluding to, that that has been the fun of it, is developing relationships with people. Uh, you know, Caleb, as you know, it's not always easy to have guests on your podcast, but we, we do still like to try and have a, a fourth guest host on with us if, whenever possible. Uh, hadn't really been feasible in 2020 because um, that, that was something, and I know you want to talk about this a little bit later, Caleb, but, uh, you know, production issues uh, are definitely something to work around in 2020. And if you're not getting paid to do this, where it's not your primary source of income, it is not always easy to invest in the uh, the equipment to do a, a solid remote record. Um, you know, that, that audio is always going to be, that audio fidelity is going to be lacking. That's, you know, and most, a lot of people don't care about that, or at least a lot of people say they don't care about that. But I think uh, most podcast listeners like audio fidelity, even if they don't really realize it. Uh, I know I'm one of those. I didn't think I used to care. Uh, and then I tried to get into some podcasts recently that were Eh, so so on the audio side, and I still like them, but it definitely you notice it if even if you haven't thought about it before. Um, so th- those those challenges have been interesting, but I, it's just always nice to come together with friends uh, on the genre cast. And I, I guess one thing you know, you mentioned we did our 400th episode. Right now we're in the middle of an annual marathon we do called Anti Trash, where we do more kind of hoity-toity fare that you would talk about in a, in a film studies class. You know, where it, the, the same scenario or setting where Dustin Arthur and I met. 
Uh, we try to do that once a year, do a month of, of films that are actually kind of considered part of the film canon. But, you know, the remaining 11 months of the year, we really do try to focus on on things that are not considered high art or at the very least, you know, sometimes might go as far as something that's middle brow, but we, we still try to, to stay on the margins as much as possible. So we'll do a big film here and there, uh, you know, we talk about all kinds of blockbusters. I think we did. We did Star Trek Beyond and Pitch Perfect Three and Bad Boys for Life as part of a, a second sequels marathon. We ju- we just wrapped. Um, so we do big movies, but we also try to find you know some more culty fare. Uh, you know things with uh, we did Swim Fan uh, in 2020. Uh, you know things that have kind of stuck around and uh, vaguely in the margins of popular consciousness. Uh, and then you know occasionally we'll cheat and we'll bend the rules. So right at the top of 2020, we talked about Parasite because we were all super hyped on it. Um, so, you know, sometimes we break the rules cause it's our show. We can do whatever we want. Um, and some marathons, for instance, right after we did Parasite, we did a, a marathon, uh, dedicated to Song Kang Ho's, uh, work. Uh, and you know, we tried to stay in the genre pocket cause he does have a lot of genre films in his, his filmography, but they are, you know, by virtue of being international cinema, they are elevated kind of in that regard is just in terms of any time you're as a, you know, an American or, or American cinema centric podcast, if you're doing international fair, it automatically elevates it, even if it is a comedy about professional wrestling, um, which, by the way, if you haven't seen South Korea is the foul king fucking get on that folks it's great uh but anyway th- those are the kinds of films we try to do you know we, we we mix it up as much as possible but at the end of the day we're, we're trying to do stuff like uh you know near dark and sure Catherine bigelow goes on to win oscars but nobody really cared about near dark when it came out um stuff like that what, what arthur I'm, I'm, I'm blanking right now are there any other films from 2020 that you feel really kind of exemplify that like the type of work we're trying to do uh, I- I mean, we did what? We did The Mask of Zorro. We did The Saint, right? I mean, with these kind of 90s big action blockbusters. But then we turn around, we do Swim Fan, we do Red Riding Hood. Um, you know, we, we just try to do kind of uh, run the gamut of genre and cult. Uh, and even films that haven't even reached cult status. You know, Swim Fan, I don't even know if it's cult status. It's just kind of become a meme, right? Oh, uh, Nora Ephron's Michael. Not really a cult film. Nobody remembers that Nora Ephron yeah. made that movie. Nobody remembers that it was a gigantic blockbuster hit, and it just kind of became a huge, colossal hit. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and Arthur, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, Caleb, that that is a really big pocket for us. Is films that were huge when they came out that just kind of puttered out into like they just didn't have any staying power in the in in the culture. I think Michael came out at Thanksgiving or Christmas, whatever year that was, ninety six, ninety seven, somewhere in there. Uh, was a huge. It was a huge hit financially, uh, and then no one talks. You know, no one remembers it. No one talks about it. Uh, I I just kind of picked it as a joke one day. I was like, oh, we should do Michael, uh, because why not, right? And and that's a lot right. of it is picking those movies. Like, who's talking about this? You know, we should talk about this because I don't know if anybody else is. And there's kind of just an absurdity to some of those choices, but they still fit what we do. Well, and speaking of Michael, weirdly enough, I always feel like we're either just uh, a few steps ahead of or just a step behind uh, our New York nemeses, Blank Check, uh, who are, uh, you know, great, a great, great podcast, uh, but unfortunately are doing something very similar to what we're doing on a a much better budget and a a much looser runtime. But they got to Michael right around the same time as us, which I couldn't stop laughing about. But it's, it's always fun when you find another podcast that is talking about a film that nobody's talking about because it's nice to just for a moment be like oh thank god somebody else has had to wrestle with this i need to i need to know what other people thought about this film oddity 
Well, and I think it's a nice touch, too, because I haven't seen Michael. You're you're intriguing me. And with the way you guys do analysis, you guys always like even the worst movies, the conversation's so rich. I'm like, what? I, I'm, I'm at least curious unless you guys are just like, don't fucking watch it. <laughs> Which is pretty rare. We we try. I think we try to find something in everything. You know, I well, there was one. Oh, there's a handful this year in 20 swim fan. We were just like, nope, sorry. We thought there might be something here. We were wrong. But Michael, yeah. you know, not a great film, but an interesting film, a fun film. Like there's well, a lot then- to like. Well, I think it's like, so you're elevating movies that people might not have heard of, but that, then I also think for people who have seen it and forgotten about it, it's almost yeah. like uh, re-encountering an old friend you forgot you had or something, you know? Yeah, I think uh, Tu Wong Fu uh, was one we did earlier in the year, and that I kind of had that, you know, it was a film I'd seen like bits and pieces of on cable as a kid, and, you know, just sitting down with, you know, two of my, my dearest friends and, and really cracking open that film and talking about like the ways in which that film was you know, really ahead of the curve in terms of its, you know, analysis of sex and gender, the way it was very much a film made in the mid early nineties by a Hollywood studio, like wrestling with those things. Cause you're right. There's this feeling of, Oh, I'm, I'm meeting an old friend (laughs) and I don't really remember what their deal was. (laughs) So getting to rediscover films that like, and and kind of wrestle with them on, on a really, you know, analytical level is, it's just a good time. Uh, truly. If you can, if you can find the time to really sink your teeth into something that seems thin or flimsy, um, there, there's, there's rewards to be found, I think. Well, uh, you know, thanks for diving in, really sharing a little bit more about all the great things you guys do. You guys, I really like, you mentioned the, the trilogies marathon you guys did last year uh, throughout the years, you guys have done a ton of really fun ones. I know you've had what three anime marathons, uh, at least two of them to, to I don't remember, some point. Honestly. Three, I know three, three marathons. Sure. Okay. I think that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> Try to slip the anime and animation in general, is something we tend to not do. And I don't really, not for any particular reason, it just doesn't come up. So we, I intentionally tried to slip a couple of those in last year. You know, we did Lupin, uh, the third, and then we did uh, Spirited Away as part of a marathon as well. So, yeah. So I think we just did those two completely devoted ones, but we still try to sneak them in now and then. Yeah, very cool. But yeah, I mean, so there's a really great variety and uh, it's, it, I mean, like listeners just, I mean, I seriously, you should check it out. It's, it's a great show um, worth your time. Just, uh, you know, like it, you really do feel like you're just sitting around shooting the shit with some, some of your friends who are just very, very smart, well-read and have a uh, great analysis. So, uh, and again, I, I had the the privilege and the uh, opportunity to work with you guys for a couple of years and it was a really great time. I, I think we, we definitely went really hard for a while, um, but I learned a lot from from you guys uh, in particular, um, just, uh, I don't know, both as a, as a person and as a podcaster. So look back very fondly on those times and, and love any chance we get to sit, sit down at a table to talk, talk movies. Let's talk a little bit about your, a little more in your process, uh, your day to day or week to week. What did that look like pre pandemic? I mean, I, I think, you know, as far as from a production standpoint uh, or what goes into this show, it, it's pretty simple for, for the genre cast. It's, it's a lot of, uh, we watch the movie, uh, we try to do a little bit of research and then we talk about it. Right. Uh, that's, that's kind of the goal, uh, week to week. Um, you know, sometimes we'll try to maybe double up so we can get ahead that way. If you know holidays come up or an emergency happens, we have, uh, some, some fodder in the cannon without having to stress. Um, 
but it's always been a pretty simplistic approach to, I, I think, what we do. You know, we, there's not a lot of prep that goes into it outside of, of the homework that we have to do, the, the movie that we have to watch. And if there's any supplemental stuff, we want to try to uh, pair with that. If there's any, you know, documentaries or if there's any articles, you know, we try to do that homework. So we're kind of well-versed in the history of the film, the kind of cultural thought of the film, Um and then, you know, as far as the website goes, a lot of it's, you know, it's right now or for the last couple of years, I'd say it's mostly just making sure those podcasts get posted to the website and then helping anybody else. You know, if, if Twilight has a new episode or if the praise down, we're trying to post something or uh, one of the other couple of shows that we've had on there, uh, we're trying to do stuff, just helping them out. But uh, I feel like our process has always been pretty straightforward in that regard. Yeah, I think we, we definitely deliberately keep it easy to keep it fun. You know, I there's no point in doing it uh, if you're not having a good time. Um, and I think that that has always come first. And I think Arthur's right. That's truly the the biggest amount of the most involved part of the process is the research. And I, I think that's, you know, that's the part that we have fun doing, trying to educate ourselves on, you know, maybe sometimes films that we're not really that familiar with. Um, I, I always find that fun trying to kind of especially if it's a movie that there's not a lot of discourse or writing about. Um, those can be really interesting to really try to do a deep dive on something that hasn't, you know, just not, not even that hasn't necessarily been covered a lot, but there's just not a lot of information about the production out there because nobody cared about it. Um, that That's always very fun. But yeah, as Arthur said, I, I think we, we do tend to, uh, we tend to keep it pretty, pretty low key. You know, again, sometimes if we have a guest on, there's some scheduling stuff we got to figure out. But we don't, you know, we don't tend to try and remote in guests. We, we like to have them in the studio with us. Um, so that that aspect of things, yeah, as Arthur said, it's pretty straightforward. Um, and we, we try to go li- live to tape as much as possible. Um, you know, Arthur's dogs come in the room. We don't really worry about that kind of thing. It's just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun Easter egg if people hear the dogs in the background unless, you know, something truly obnoxious happens yeah, or, you know, something falls or whatever. barking and interrupt us and then obviously I'll cut that stuff but yeah i mean and i i think it's just a due to the nature of how long we've been doing this and how we all well we know each other and kind of gel together i I really don't do a lot of editing unless it's something big or you know there's a hiccup or whatever and then i can usually just write it down a timestamp and just go back to it cut it and and move on which really streamlines even the the post-production process for me Yeah, nice and simple. And uh, again, I think it really just goes to, to that organic vibe. That everything's relaxed, but you guys still have a good format and a good flow and a good back and forth. It all feels really organic. And, you know, whenever uh, Giles or Charlie's uh, jumps in there, I mean, it's just like an extra character, right? So, <laughs> you know, another member of the. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I know a lot of content creators and podcasters noticed a pretty big hit uh, earlier in the spring when the pandemic began, um, impacting, you know, everyone's daily routines. Things like driving to work, uh, exercise, I mean, even exercising, I think that's changed a little bit. But early on when everyone was super unsure of what was going yeah. on, you know, uh, like the things people did every day, um, like having commutes or even going to the grocery store kind of stopped. So a lot of that podcast listening time seemed to come to a halt as well for a lot of folks out there. I'm just curious, like, firstly, like, did you guys notice any sort of impact with your listenership on Good Trash Media? And there's a follow up, like, how did you guys pivot with, like, your processes? Yeah, I, I think I was really kind of curious about this. So I was looking at it after you sent that question, uh, because I, I was kind of curious because I, I that's something I'd heard as well on, you know, Reddit forums and and Twitter and articles was how podcast listenership was down. Uh, across the board. So I was just kind of curious in, in our regard to where that impacted us. 
Um, and so looking back at that, I noticed that we had a steady climb actually up to the spring and the early summer. Uh, and I was kind of curious because it seemed like November, December were down compared to the rest of the year. Um, but it looks like we kind of leveled out there at the end of the year. Uh, so I think we had a pretty big pit, uh, push through the summer. Uh, Which makes sense. We did do a pretty uh, listener uh, he- engagement heavy marathon yeah. uh, throughout the summer. So that makes sense. Yep, and I, I think that's really what it was. I think we did that How Have We Never Covered marathon where we tried to be as engaged as possible uh, on Twitter with our followers um, allowing them to pick the movies we were doing. I thought it was a really fun format. And I think that did give us a lot of momentum through the summer. Um, and a lot of it, I think, was also due in part to just being engaged and interactive on Twitter to kind of keep us top of mind. And uh, honestly, I've I've dropped off quite a bit myself uh, in the fall on Twitter. I, I just don't have the energy or momentum anymore, you know, to stay on Twitter and, and do stuff. And so I, I've, I've been on my personal Twitter more than my uh, the good trash Twitter, which is weird. I, I'm rarely ever on my personal Twitter, but I've been on it a lot more over the last probably month or two months. Um, and so, and oddly, I've been on our the yeah, good trash Twitter more because my personal Twitter feed is just an absolute nightmare. Sometimes I got to switch over to the to the work feed, uh, as it were, so I can just uh, movie stuff. Okay, this is nice. I can handle uh, reviews and articles and uh, screenshots of, of really great, uh, you know, or captures of really great, you know, scenes from a yeah. film, as opposed to the the absolute nightmare that is the uh, all the the shit posting uh, and uh, shenanigans going on in, in my personal Twitter. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think at the end of the day, you know, by the end of the year, it looks like we'd kind of settled back to where we were pre or right at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, so I feel like we kind of just came full circle in that regard. And, and I, I think do think if I, I tried to be more engaged with with Twitter, it would help. But I just I don't have the energy right now. Who has the time, honestly? Guys, Twitter is, I mean, and listen, it, I, I deleted social media apps off my phone earlier this year, and I've at least it's. It's helped a little bit, but Twitter is a it's 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 not it's not necessarily the most productive way to spend your time. Um, but I unless you're doing things like you guys are doing the fun stuff on Twitter, the stuff that I think still attracts me to Twitter, which is like, you know, podcasters talking about the movies, uh, cracking jokes with each other. That's the fun part, you know, and that the little yeah. communities that pop up. But uh, I, I can also relate to, uh, you know, Dalton, what you're saying. It's 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 can be emotionally exhausting, like trying to be on, especially if you ha- if you follow a lot of different um you know, news sources or whatever, it, it gets, it gets difficult, but I, I do think you guys have had done a really great job um, this year, keeping a presence. I, I always played a game with myself where I was like, when I saw a tweet, I was like, I wonder if Dalton wrote it or if Arthur wrote it. <laughs> I was like, Dustin could have wrote it, but I don't think he did. Uh, <laughs> no. no, unless it was purely by accident. <laughs> I don't even know if he has the access to the account. Honestly, I think it's, just I'm sure he Dalton. does and doesn't realize he does. <laughs> that may be true. Yeah. So someday he's just going to randomly. A, so one day he's just going to randomly tweet from it out of nowhere. Yeah. Confuse us both, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'll he'll accidentally uh, cross post from his personal account, which means it'll just probably be a a picture he took. <laughs> <laughs> or, or or you'll be like Dalton, I I, I like. Are you uh, reading some Zizek right now? Is that you read? <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, well, uh, so like Dalton, maybe Arthur sort of talked us through like listenership. But have and you guys mentioned, of course, that you like to to meet in the studio as much as possible. Has that has that stayed true this year, or have you guys shifted to some remote recordings? Uh, on and off, you know, early on, especially when our our local numbers were pretty low. Um, we, we, uh, decided to stick with it in the studio. 
Um, but, you know, for safety's sake, you know, his numbers were climbing and, you know, we, we had unavoidable, you know, personal commitments where we were going to have to be exposed to, to more people than we were comfortable with. Yeah, we would definitely take, you know, two, three, four week breaks going remote. Uh, episode 400 we recorded live in the studio and i think that was the first one we'd all been together for what in probably eight weeks arthur yeah sounds about right yeah um but especially early on we were we were staying you know in the studio as much as possible again uh because we were all able to mitigate our risk pretty well through like i would say march and april yeah. uh and may but we we were also recording a, a tabletop uh, we started doing an actual play podcast this year uh for our patrons um, over on patreon.com forward slash GTM. Uh, see how I did that? That's that's the pro stuff. That's what you learn after uh, 400 episodes. Anyway, uh, we started doing an actual actual play podcast of a Monster of the Week campaign. And we were just, it was really getting us through the early part of the pandemic, I think. It was hard to always want to be excited to talk film because so much was going on, uh, especially as we got into the end of May and June. Um, it, it just, it was like, who gives a shit about movies, right? I can't even be bothered, but you know, we had rolling some dice to look forward to. And, and that kind of really did propel us through for a while. Um, cause we were just having so, so much fun, you know, getting to do something different with each other. Um, but you know, uh, again, I, I think safety's always a primary concern. Uh, you know, our, Arthur's uh, spouse and myself both have, uh, you know, health issues we have to be mindful of, uh, be, you know, we're, we're at risk of the pandemic because of our own personal health issues. Uh, you know, my, my spouse works in the healthcare field um, and, and is in the public. So, you know, just safety concerns, I, I think, did rule out for parts of this year. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure, Caleb, you can relate to this and other any, you know, content creators that are listening to this can relate to that. You do have to, at a certain point, say, all right, well, you know, if quality suffers, that's fine. It, it, I, what's more important is that people are being safe and taking care of their health. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you just, you balance those things as best as you can and, you know, figure out what works for everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's making trade-offs, right? You're like, do I get a show out this week? Okay. Yeah. If we, if it's a priority to get the show out this week, we think there's an appetite and we're up for it and you, we don't feel it's safe. Okay. Yeah. You get a remote, remote recording and that does make a lot of, especially with you guys, everything you do is so centralized, even in terms of like equipment and setup, like, you know, you have to d- determine like, all right, well, how can we do this the, the best way possible? No, I mean, like I, I totally get that. And, um, it's definitely been, an, yeah. Well, and I was just going to say, in recording remote, as I'm sure you know, Caleb, just it increases your risk, right? Like anybody that's done remote recordings knows when you're, you're trying to record in multiple tracks uh, across different devices, like you do run the risk of something getting corrupted, which we you know we ran into once or twice this year. Uh, but you know, as you said, Caleb, you just gotta you know do the calculus on you know what's feasible for everybody and what's you know what's actually important. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've uh, I've listened to the last like two or three of your shows. Um, I was, I was I get I do this thing with podcasts where I get like I go in like sprints. So with you guys, I was probably about six weeks behind. I listened to three or four of the most recent ones um, this week, and I mean, like you know, I. I notice it's different than you guys in the studio, but it's not like distracting. I think you all still sound really, you know, good as, you know, as all things considered. So, I mean, um, I, I just admit, I think it's, again, just going back to, what I said earlier, hitting 400 episodes is impressive. And I'm just really impressed that even through the pandemic and with the challenges, you know, podcasters like you guys are just able to keep figuring it out and moving forward in whatever, whatever way that looks like. Um, now Dalton, you mentioned, uh, summer. Hey, uh, Movies, uh, watching movies doesn't really sound like a lot of fun, or I just would rather spend my time and emotional energy elsewhere because the world's just kind of crazy. So in that scenario, like, wh- what do you, what do you do? Like, how did you guys, wh- 
did you guys change on the, the types of films you're looking at at any point in the year? Um, did you have like, I mean, I know Arthur mentioned you guys had like listener picks, like what determined the types of content? And did you see like a, a, a shift in the types of movies you chose to speak on? <laughs> Well, we, we talked about watching Red Riding Hood and Michael earlier. We also watched, and Swim Fan, we also watched Splice in there in that four-week period. So apparently we were all really horned up towards the end of the summer because uh, that wasn't an actual marathon on purpose, but we had like four or five movies back-to-back where like sex was the capital E on the I chart, the theme of the film. Uh, without Again, Michael, we didn't realize that that was what that film was about because uh, none of us had seen it in years. Uh so that was one thing. Uh, again, as Arthur, you know, as we were talking about the, the listener picks, I, I think it really did save us this summer, truly, because I, I couldn't. I, I don't. Arthur usually does spearhead our, our programming. Um, you know, obviously we it's a collaborative process, but I think he is at the forefront of a lot of that decision making. And I, I think you know, building a bracket, putting it out there for people who follow us, taking their feedback on our initial bracket and reformatting it. Number one, like kept that list of films of you know. How have we never covered in you know three hundred at that time three hundred some odd episodes? Have we never gotten to these these films? Uh, having uh, you know listeners uh, and friends and, and and followers who were like, hey man, this is a pretty uh, white dude centric list, and really that can, kind of just came from we were brainstorming on like films of our personal taste. How does it doesn't didn't make sense that we hadn't selected them right? But you know that pushback from our listeners, I think especially this summer, was something that we needed uh, to be mindful of um, and. Uh, Again, it just kept us fresh. It kept us excited to see like what was going to advance through these brackets. And again, it it was just nice to not have to worry about it. It, it was nice to be like, well, I'm rooting for this to make it through the brackets, but whatever makes it through, like this will be an interesting film to talk about. Um, I, I can't think of anything outside of that. Arthur, does I, I, it seems like based on your face, some of that was resonating with you. Yeah, I, I think especially about the summer, you know, it was a lot of fun. It's just a fun marathon idea, I think, to just let the the listeners pick because... Uh, you know, we would have roughly some idea of what we might do, but to kind of keep us on our toes, I think, and let our fate rest somewhere else was fun. I, I think just more generally speaking, uh, especially post-pandemic, you know, uh, I, I really did try to stay away from anything uh, too negative or tied to the events. You know, we could have easily done Contagion or Outbreak when those were huge. You know, those were huge on streaming platforms early in the pandemic. Uh, and, and there may have been some catharsis to that, but I, it was not something I wanted to keep top of mind. I, I think allowing us to be more of a distraction uh, rather than kind of feeding into that same uh, mindset, as well as like if we had done a lot of those movies, then we run the risk of getting too samey, I think, you know, and, and just kind of, I think, feeling maligned and feeling uh, brought down, I think, by that stuff. And so I think that trying to just stay in a normal routine of the movies we normally do kind of helped us kind of push through that as well. Uh, Arthur, as you were speaking, I did remember, you know, I, I got to program our, our annual horror marathon this year for my birthday. Um, and, and I did select uh, day of the dead, uh, the George Romero film. And part of that was, you know, because we had talked about Dawn of the dead the previous year, uh, but also it was because it did kind of seem like I did. It was it was enough about the idea of being locked down without being about, you know, a, a you know, a realistic global pandemic like something like a contagion or an outbreak. Um, so because we did kind of talk about the ways in which being caged in can make you a little wacky. Um, but, yeah, as Arthur said, it, it was nice to try to 
not engage with some of that stuff like directly early on, especially again during summer. We, I don't know if this was something that totally entered into Arthur's calculus, but you know we talked about Bad Boys for Life because uh, we the last couple of years we've tried to talk about the whatever was the highest grossing film at the domestic box office at the end of the year, and you know the year that it was that was the uh, the highest grossing film, but it was the first cop movie we had done um, since May, um, and it was weird to do. Uh, <laughs> it, it was just like knowing that okay, well it's. This week we we're not going to be able to avoid cop movies forever. We do a lot of them because a lot of you know action and genre fare rests in that category, um, and we you know we lost part of that episode, which I think might be for the best <laughs> at the end of the day. But we did try to you know have a discourse that that did engage with you know ideas of copaganda and you know the depictions of law enforcement and media. Uh, we we tried to wrestle with those questions. So it, it wasn't in towards, uh, until towards the end of 2020 did we start to kind of look back on 2020, again, October, November, December, and started to kind of know, try to not necessarily have something to say because who, who the hell are we, but at the very less engage. Yeah. And, and in that same vein, and I don't know about, I don't even think I ever told Dalton this or, or Dustin, like the, the group, because I, I, generally kind of plan ahead for the year what I think would be fun to do and then we'll pivot throughout the year or whatever but probably late 2019 I was looking ahead and I was like 2020 it's year of the election in November we should do an election like a, a you know political films marathon of president films marathon right and then as we were getting closer about halfway through this year I was like ah, I don't know and then we had the I had the idea to give Dalton Shocktober uh, rights uh, to, to program and then I was like well you know Dustin's having a birthday in November and he's wrapping up this PhD stuff. So why don't we just make it kind of a celebration of him? Uh, and so it was kind of a, a more wholesome way to approach November and, and kind of keep things, you know, cause if we had tried to do a political marathon in the middle of this uh, election cycle, it would have been, uh, I think a lot of negative thought processes. And so, you know, just trying to pivot around some of that stuff, I think was also important. Well, and I would have come, yeah, if we had done that, I'd have ended up coming to record cosplaying as Rambo at some point, I'm sure. I don't, I don't think I could have handled that this year. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a wild year. And, you know, just going back to that thing we mentioned about reconsidering things, you know, um, even the yeah, propaganda, police, how police are portrayed in film. I didn't tell my girlfriend this because we, um, I watch Die Hard every year in the Christmas season. I am, I love it so much. And I know we've actually talked about it on the genre cast at some point, but like, uh, you know, it's one of my uh, all-time favorites. And even watching that movie, a film I've watched at least once a year, every year for almost 30 years, uh, I still had that moment where I'm like, man, I like in the context of 2020, it just doesn't feel the same, you know? Yeah, it's weird when Reginald Vell Johnson has to learn that the uh, most important part of being a man is shoot being able guy, to shoot people right? in the chest. I, 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 yeah. I, did, I did turn to my girlfriend when we were watching. I was like, this makes me feel uncomfortable in a way that. Oh, it's always been, yeah, a thematic hurdle in that film for sure. But yeah, especially this year. Um, I think the best way to engage with that film is just to think of John McClane as a Christ figure who takes the violence of mankind upon his own body. Uh, as Arthur so eloquently uh, reminded us of back in God, that, that was back in the UCO days, as we mentioned early, early on in our history. Arthur presented a really interesting read of of Die Hard as a uh, you know. Not a, you, you. I think you actually took a a, a more uh, Jewish approach to the text. It was Yom Kippur, yeah, he was the sacrificial lamb. Yeah, you did his Yom Kippur narrative, but again, you could do it as if you really want to make the case that it's a Christmas film. You could engage with the the Christ narratives that are working throughout that film. But yeah, again, as Arthur said, there's there's a lot there as far as 
taking violence upon yourself or, you know, sin on yourself or whatever, you know, trying to be a better person uh, through pain. But uh, yeah, you got to dig for that stuff because that's the subtext. The text of the film is not always peachy keen. No, and, and the, the text of the film is not always 100% consistent either. But uh, which again, which is part of the, the beauty of what you guys do on your show is you're really talking about those sorts of things like uh, this is consistent or, or if the film does this, what is this actually saying either intentionally or not intentionally? So again, lots of great quality analysis there. Uh, I do want to make sure we're going to, we're actually going to pivot to more fun conversation here in a second, but you know, as we are heading further into 2021, I know it's already been quite a week, but uh, it, how are things looking for you guys compared to the last year? Are you thinking like it's looking up uh, about the same, or do you feel like it's looking different for the type of thing you're doing at uh, good trash media and the good trash honor cast? I, th- I think in general, uh, everything we're going to do is going to be pretty similar as far as our processes and the types of movies we approach. Um, we've had a couple of ideas for doing like a uh, the canon canon uh, marathon, talking about those canon films from the '80s and maybe programming. Uh, because we did one uh, recently, I don't remember what it was, um, but we thought it'd be fun. Uh, oh, we did Highlander, I think was the, was the one. Uh, and Dustin was like, "Oh, it'd be fun if we did a canon canon marathon." And so I've kind of started outlining stuff like that. I, I think the big thing, and I I, I really do feel um, that. I've we've attempted to be more inclusive in the the types of films we've chosen, um, and you know it's not always perfect uh, depending on the marathons or just what comes up. But I, I think that is something I I, I want to strive for more in twenty twenty one is making sure we are picking more uh, diversely, and, and maybe not even uh, you know films directed by women or people of color or minorities or anything like that. But even films that you know we we were kind of lambasted because we were picking a lot of male leaning films, a lot of action movies, comedies, stuff that were more that 18 to 35 male demographic. And so doing something like Pitch Perfect 3 was more outside of our wheelhouse because it isn't in that demographic. And so doing films more in that vein that are, you know, you know maybe it's Jawbreakers or or something like that or um Holy shit, you know, I didn't know anyone else remembered the movie Jawbreakers. Thank you, Arthur <laughs> Gordon. I think Kirsten's brought it up or something a few times. Kirsten Thurkelson, yeah. yeah, is a huge proponent of that film. And it was one of the films she mentioned as, as Arthur just to, to jump in for just a second. Um she kind of, we were ta- I was talking to her about the idea of genre film and she was kind of just talking about the the boys clubbing of of genre cinema, right? And how there are lots of decidedly femme films that are, you know, Bring It On, Jawbreaker, Heathers, uh, films that are clearly, obviously, you hear them and you go, that's a genre film, but don't necessarily get lumped in uh, that conversation the way they should unless somebody's making a point to bring yeah, it Yeah, and I, like I said, I think we've done good about focusing on, you know, trying to do every month we do a film directed by a person of color or a, fi- or a film directed by a lady or, or both, right? Um and so we've been intentional that, but even those, you know, we've we've done a lot of Catherine Bigelow, but Catherine Bigelow's films tend to kind of fall into that more masculine uh, leaning type of filmmaking, right? And all those action films that she's done, and even Near Dark, um, and and stuff like that, Hurt Locker. And so, you know, being more intentional in, in picking out those sorts of films. So, you know, I've kind of penciled in something like Red Tails, which is a historical drama. Uh, which is something we never really do. We don't do a lot of war movies. We don't do a lot of historical stuff like that. So I've, I've kind of got that penciled in. I've penciled in Bend It Like Beckham, which I think came up during our How Have We Never Covered, right? The Spy Who Dumped Me. 
um, you know, which is definitely that'll yeah, be fun. You know, so I'm trying to pencil and stuff like that to be a little more intentional in picking movies that aren't uh, so male leaning. Well, and I will say that the the fun of that, especially just in, because we were talking about Highlander, uh, there are so, 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 so many quote unquote man movies that are uh, exceptionally queer uh, in their and not even I'm not even going to say in their subtext, in their text, they are explicitly queer films. And I, that aspect of genre filmmaking is always fascinating to me, right? The, the, the messaging and ideas that can work their way into something that is like a, on its surface, a macho film or a, a dude movie, whatever the hell that means. Um, but yeah, as Arthur said, I, that intentionality is something we've always tried to work towards, but I'm, I'm super glad to hear some of the things we have penciled in for the coming year. Um, that's exciting. Listen, Nightmare on Elm Street too. It's the, they, they. I don't even think that. I think it's in the text. Pretty straightforward. Apparently, some, there's an argument whether it's in the text or the subtext. I'm like, have you guys watched the movie? Uh, you know. Oh yeah. Well, Highlander was what I was thinking of just now, but uh, I think Freddy's Revenge, a uh, great example uh, of yet another film from the '80s. That is, and I think that is a real heyday for you know quietly loudly uh, <laughs> queer films uh, that that were coming out of Hollywood in that era. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool. Well, I'm excited to see all the the new stuff you guys are doing this year. And I think that, you know, uh, trying to be more inclusive is something I strive for on this show. And it, it does require a certain level of intentionality and, and just being mindful of who you bring on your show and the types of films you pick. Um, but I, I, again, uh, just really admire and love all the work you guys are doing over there and continue to do. And i um, looking forward to seeing another 100 episodes until you hit 500. So <laughs> uh, now let's let's move on to the, the fun fun part of the show today we've, we've talked a lot about how this this last year has impacted you all but i've asked you both to to bring three different films that helped you get through an especially challenging year and i'm really looking forward to hearing what you all picked and by the way this this order isn't necessarily need to be a rank it's not a one to three unless you really want it to be like a first second third place just sort of three movies that you guys watched or came to mind when you thought about man that helped me get through 2020 uh, so Dalton, I'll start with you. We'll go back and forth between you and Arthur. Uh, Dalton, what was uh, the first film that you selected? The first film I have brought for everyone's uh, enjoyment uh, and discussion is the uh, 90s film Johnny Mnemonic. The year is 2021. It is no longer safe to transmit information. Phones, computers, and satellites are all vulnerable. But there is a solution. Your storage capacity? I can carry nearly 80 gigs of data in my head. Input the data into the brain of a human courier, like Johnny Mnemonic. Hit me. Your listeners over here at the Cinematic Schematic don't need to hear me talk about The Matrix for what would be the 500th time. Uh, Although I did watch The Matrix this year, make no mistake, friends. I also caught up on an earlier Keanu Reeves cyberpunk classic, uh, a a film that was totally written off in its day uh, that uh, did not get the love I think it deserves. I think Johnny Mnemonic is deeply, deeply underrated and uh, takes place in the year 2021, no less, uh, which was part of why I, I couldn't help but talk about it today. Uh, the other reason I, I really wanted to talk about it today was, I, I know I kind of mentioned this in passing, uh, but it was a film that I watched um, with friends. It was a film that I watched remotely uh, with a, a big group of people via Discord uh, and man, is that a fun th- movie to watch with folks. Dolph Lundgren plays an evil street preacher, Jesus. Uh, there's a dolphin who's a hacker. Ice-T is the leader of the rebellion. Uh, Dina, oh crap. Yeah, Dina Meyer, uh, who plays Dizzy in Starship Troopers, is in it. Uh, it's like the only other thing I've ever seen her in, and she's 
excellent in in this film. Uh, Keanu is honestly one of the weaker parts of the movie, and it is just because he's a little bit too young to be pulling off. He's it's definitely some kind of proto John Wick type acting. Like it's a very kind of similar no nonsense professional character, but he's a little too young to be pulling it off. Um, but I think it's an excellent film. Uh, I, I really, I just happened to see it land on Hulu earlier this year, and it's a film that I was very aware of. Uh, you know, it was written by um, uh, what's his doodle, the big OG cyberpunk guy uh, that wrote uh, Snow Crash, Neuromancer. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, Gibson, William Gibson, uh, wrote a short story uh, about Johnny Mnemonic and then adapted the screenplay. So it was very interesting to see this kind of lauded name in, in uh, sci-fi literature, you know, his, I think one of his only screenplay features. Um, Cause you know, a lot of that earlier generation of sci-fi writers, you know, Asimov's and those cats, like a lot of them wrote screenplays. Um, some of them wrote about as many screenplays as they did films. Uh, I can't remember. There's a specific example I can't think of right now, but to get to see Gibson uh, do that in the mid nineties, I, I think the film is just way ahead of its time. I don't, not enough people knew what the internet was in 1995 for this film to really catch hold. Uh, but, uh, it was the best thing involving cyberpunk I consumed in 2020. That's for sure. Uh, better than other things starring Keanu Reeves and involving cyberpunk. Although, uh, that, uh, big old, uh, shit show of a video game, uh, that I'm clearly referencing definitely takes a lot of cues from Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, it was, that was an aspect of it that was very interesting to go. Oh, wow. Yeah. They really are just cribbing like the entire late eighties, early nineties, like playbook for this game. Huh? Um, yeah, I think it's a good movie. It's wacky. It's very fun. At one point, Keanu Reeves says, I have to get online. I need a computer. And it is something that I think about probably every day now. <laughs> well, so clearly this is a film that's, uh, if, you, if you think about it every day, Dalton, this is one that's going to stick with you. So this isn't like an exclusive 2020 and move on. You're saying, I think about this every day still. So you're going to come back to this movie, right? Oh, absolutely. I will. It is the text of 2021, listener. Prepare yourself. We are still early in this year. We must be steely and ready. Stay frosty. Watch Johnny Mnemonic. Think about uh, collectivism. Uh, think about uh, how being online can uh, bring people together uh, to uh, affect change in the world or, I don't know, something high-minded. <laughs> it is uh, certainly probably the most appropriate cyberpunk thing you could watch in 2020, 2021, uh, that's for sure. And until the actual thing, 2077, comes out uh, properly. So, you know. I did forget to mention, uh, a big part of Johnny Mnemonic is that a uh, plague has devastated the Earth uh, <laughs> in 2021. Uh, and l- learning that in the opening crawl of that film, I was just like, whoa, <laughs> what have we gotten ourselves into? Uh, yeah, Johnny Mnemonic was a prophetic film on accident. Uh very, very interesting movie. Um, in, inappropriately maligned. William Gibson was on to something in 1995. That's all I know. Uh, we're going to have to, we will absolutely have to check that out again. Um, so listeners, that is actually, that was one on my watch list last year I didn't get to for the sole reason of there being another cyberpunk thing starring Keanu Reeves that came out last year. Uh, so great pick, Dalton. And uh, thanks for sharing a little bit there. Uh, Arthur, how about you? What What's your first movie? Yeah, so way back in July of 2020, uh, many moons ago, uh, I was still trying to maintain some sense of uh, normalcy and keep up with the 2020 releases that were coming out. Uh, And so my first pick is Palm Springs. It's going to be a beautiful wedding. Here you are, standing on the precipice of something so much bigger than anyone here. But always remember, you are not alone. 
I don't think that we met. I'm Sarah. Niles. Hi. Hi. It's gonna be a beautiful wedding. Good day so far? Today, tomorrow, it's all the same. You, what is going on? Hey, get out of the water! Guess you followed me. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. That I might have heard about? Yeah. I thought that it was... Uh, a fascinating idea. I always love the Groundhog Day gimmick, you know, whether it's uh, Happy Death Day, which I love, or uh, Live, Die, Repeat, and, you know, whatever it means. I think it's just a fun setup uh, that can be used across genre, really, um, which I think uh, is, is really interesting. And so to see this kind of uh, modern romantic comedy take on Palm's, uh, on that uh, format uh, with Palm Springs uh, really hooked me, and it came out right around my birthday, uh, right around Caleb's birthday as well, right after Caleb's birthday. Um, and so I, uh, I was really excited to see that one and and watch it. And I caught it with my wife. We watched it one night, and I was really taken aback by it, um, by how smart it is and intelligent it is, and I think the philosophy that it, it presents in, in regards to relationships and love and and the ideas that it, it argues for in in that situation um but also just the timeliness of it um you know this was a movie that's i think what hit sundance or something in in, in january uh and you know no foresight whatsoever of what was to come uh and so it kind of became this uh, I think mascot and, and sounding block for the pandemic and where we all felt, I think emotionally just waking up to get through another day with a, a I think a heaviness on us. And, and so I, I really respected it for that and just how clever and intelligent it really is. And so, you know, I think about it quite a bit and I also think about where it occupies that space in these straight to streaming movies that, that, started happening in 2020, right? You know, kind of started with Trolls uh, World Tour. Uh, I almost put that on the list uh, just because uh, that was one Keisha was looking forward to, my wife. And so uh, that almost got the spot. But um, I, I think Palm Springs is a little more personal for me. Um, but I also think it's a, it's a really interesting discourse around these 2020 movies that were kind of critically lauded that hit streaming, you know, like, oh, you've got to check out this great movie that's on Shutter. You got to, got to see this great Amazon original. And I'd watch some of these movies and I'm like, I don't know that it's that great. And there was that discourse that would kind of pop up of like, they're, they're only popping out as great because they're what we've got and they're probably better than other stuff, right? And so I think film criticism discourse in 2020 is really interesting as well because of how we're having to view films and the kind of movies that come out. But I think Palm Springs is one of the the truly great ones that did come out. I, I think um, it, it really does kind of stand up to, you know, if we'd seen it in theaters, I think would probably be even more blown away by it. But I think on, on a small screen or whatever, it works great. And I can't say that for some of these other 2020 releases that went straight to, to streaming. And I, I think there is some really smart thought in the idea that, a studio is going to hold on to something 
they know is going to have a bigger impact in, in cinema. And, and so the ones that we do get uh, probably are lesser than in a lot of situations. And so, you know, we never saw no Madland hint streaming, right? We never saw films like that that are seem to be bona fide critical darlings uh, were hitting. It was it was a lot of, I think, solid fare, but I feel like just the state of everything else helped to elevate a lot of these films. And I think Palm Springs stands above that on its own merits as a film and objectively and subjectively. Uh, I think about it quite a bit. I, I, I love the idea of it. I think the humor is great. I think the depth is great. Uh, I think there's a lot there to unpack on multiple viewings. Uh, and so that's the my first pick is Palm Springs. Palm Springs is a, a great film. It's a quintessential 2020 movie. And uh, Arthur, I, I, I agree. I think if this had come out in a, in a traditional theatrical release, it would still be in a lot of top 10 lists. Uh, I know it's in my top 10 list uh, for 2020. Uh, made many critics uh, top tens list, but it's just because it's a great film that's only benefited from the pandemic. But I still think the foundation there is really strong. Andy Samberg, I I love that guy. And I just think he gets get he's getting better with the age and um, the sophistication of the types of stories he's he's interested in telling on the big screen. So uh, great selection there. So it sounds like for you, it's going to stick around in the the weeks and months ahead. Yeah, I, I think so. I think this is one I could revisit pretty, pretty easily uh, and still get quite a bit of enjoyment out of as well as some uh, emotional connection and depth. So I, I, I can see uh, revisiting it pretty, pretty easily. All right. Very cool. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't already, check it out. It's on Hulu. Uh, and if you if there's an option to rent it digitally VOD, I also recommend that because it's definitely worth your time. And it's a lot of fun. It's going to help you feel a little better about all the craziness that, that ensued last year. Uh, but let's go ahead and move on to the second film today. Uh, Dalton, what is the second movie that helped you get through the 2020 pandemic? Uh, my second film is uh, uh, also a 2020 release. Um and it will not make you feel better about 2020. Well, it might, but it'll do it in a weird way. Uh, it is She Dies Tomorrow. Uh, the Amy Simitz, Simitz I, don't, I don't know how to say her, her last name, unfortunately, but uh, she's the, the lead in Upstream Color. Um, a multi-hyphenate talent. Uh, I think this was her directorial debut, not the first film she wrote, though. Hi. How's the new house? Good. Can you come over? Uh, I can't. Are you Okay. I am going to die tomorrow. Amy! What is going on? There is no tomorrow for me. All right, listen, Amy, I'm really freaking out right now. I feel like you put this idea of dying in my head. Can, can you just call me back? For those of you who don't know, She Dies Tomorrow is basically It Follows with Death Anxiety. Um, it is about Caitlin Scheel, uh, an indie actor that I, I like a great deal, um, who uh, becomes convinced she is going to die tomorrow. And uh, not only are her loved ones not able to disabuse uh, her of this notion, uh, it catches on. Um, so it is very much a film about the anxiety of mortality, um, about the the certainty of, a, of an end date, uh, and also the uncertainty of when that end date will come. Uh, I think it's a really, really, really great movie. Uh, it's dreamy and weird and spacey and full of fascinating imagery and really spectacular acting. Um, 
it's got Jane Addams, uh, Katie Asselton, uh, Chris Messina, uh, some other actors uh, who you'll definitely recognize. But those were the ones that uh, really stood out to me when they showed up. Uh, just a, a, a who's who of a- actors who don't get to be in huge movies that often uh, or when they do in the case of Chris Messina, they're you know barely recognizable. Um, but again, a, a really, really spectacular 2020 release that um, kind of similar to uh, to Palm Springs, but a little bit earlier, it, it was one of those first films to kind of be caught in the churn uh, of, of theater shutdowns and stuff. It was, a, I think it was a 2019 festival release that like had a pretty early 2020 uh, theatrical release scheduled. Um, it was one of the the few handful of films that I, you know, I paid the premium rental for. Uh, it was an indie, so I think it was only like six or seven bucks to rent, uh, but very much worth it. Uh, I watched it once and a half in the time that I had it. Uh, I just I, I don't want to get too far into the minutia of it because it is a, a film that's pretty light on plot. It is is more experiential than anything else. Um, but yeah, I, she dies tomorrow. A, a film that I like a lot. It was something that really helped me process my own anxiety about this year. Um, my own uh, grief, uh, not only for some some relatives I I lost in my personal life this year, but also the grief of the mass death happening uh, across the planet. Uh, it uh, Again, it might not make you feel great, but there's a catharsis to be found in She Dies Tomorrow, I think, especially if you are someone who struggles with any sort of uh, health anxiety uh, or, you know, issues with grief and mortality. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't mind. I'm actually glad you included that because, uh, I mean, everyone processes, you know, tragedy, trauma, challenges, uh, like a mental wear and tear. I say exhaustion is probably the best word for it. And sure. um, I know that catharsis and like sort of like watching a movie to overcome a thing is uh, is one way to, to process. Uh, like maybe like watching Blue Valentine right after you just had a brutal breakup or, or in the process of a brutal breakup, like for example. I've done that one before, uh, sure. Too. Not, not recommended unless you're ready. Sometimes the only way out is through. That's right. And uh, I, I found that to be the case with She Dies Tomorrow. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad. I, I thought that about you as well, Caleb, and I, I'm sure both of you can relate to this. Uh, I like the catharsis of being in a dark room full of strangers and all of us feeling the same things or not necessarily feeling the same things, but experiencing the same things and feeling them in our own ways. Um, and, and I definitely, definitely missed that this year. Uh, and She Dies Tomorrow was one of the films that like, I, I didn't need the group setting as much as I would have liked it. It was something that hit me right where I lived enough that I, I was able to get on its rhythms and really feel it, um, you know, from the comfort of my own home, even though it would probably would have been really interesting to see with the crowd. I guess you should say, Dalton, with that, though, I know catharsis films also tend to be one time watchers for a lot of folks. Uh, she dies tomorrow. You're going to watch it again at some point. Yay. Nay. Maybe. Absolutely. It's like right at 90 minutes, maybe even a little less. So it's a quick watch. It's again, visually stunning. I can't I cannot overstate like how cool this movie looks. It, it, it's doing a lot with a little. Uh, there's another film that, a re- that I'm sure I'll come up a little bit later as in our discussion uh, from 2020 that it kind of reminded me of in some ways. But it, there's just a really hypnotic, dreamy quality to it. Uh, you know, doing a lot with lighting sources within, you know, um, I guess I should say diegetic lighting sources, you know, lighting that is happening within the confines of the frame, um, you know, uh, snow on televisions, you know, computer monitors, uh, microscope lights, all kinds of, of really interesting lighting sources throughout the film. Uh, really kind of weird, long cut, like the, the artistry and craft of the film are, are really impressive, again, especially uh, considering that, um, you know, this is a, a, 
an artist who, I th- again, I'm pretty sure this is her directorial debut, but has been around the film industry for several years now, has been on a lot of uh, productions of varying sizes. And, you know, that kind of background does a, does somebody a lot of favors. Oh, and of course, it isn't her uh, directorial debut, but I do think it might be her feature. Yeah. Um, mostly shorts and a couple of TV episodes. Um Oh, I forgot Amy Simmons did a couple episodes of Atlanta. So there you go. Uh, Her only feature prior to this was Sun Don't Shine in 2012, which I don't know a lot about. I've heard good things about it, um, but it's uh, I'd forgotten she directed that as well. Um, But again, so this is only her second feature. And and you can it's a film that feels like even as you're watching it. Wow, this has been gestating for a while. Somebody's been thinking about this for a minute. Like it's got that that sort of depth uh, and and those sorts of layers. So, yeah, I can definitely see myself revisiting this. I I would actually uh, assuming it hits uh, a streaming service I already have access to. uh, I will definitely watch it again this year and I might consider renting it again if it doesn't because I liked it. It's going to, as Arthur mentioned with Palm Springs, it definitely cracked my, my top 10 for 2020. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's actually on Hulu right now, so. Oh, sick. Hey, there you go, listener. Uh, you Go check out She Dies Tomorrow. It's on Hulu, and uh, I think I know what I might be doing later this weekend. Same as Palm Springs. Both of them are on Hulu. So, ladies and gentlemen, 2020 made a great case to uh, get your uh, Hulu subscription. Not joking. It's It was a good year for Hulu stuff. Um, so, She Dies Tomorrow, uh, that was Dalton's second pick. Arthur Gordon, what is your second film? Yeah, so this is a movie from 1993, uh, and I watched it in conjunction with uh, Gremlins 2 to get some more Joe Dante in my life, and it is Matinee. For the kids of Key West, Florida, there was nothing scarier than a monster matinee. Lawrence Wolsey, the master of movie horror, exterminates you with Matt. The story of Matt is based on scientific fact on theories that have appeared in national magazines. But in the fall of 1962... A series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on the island of Cuba. They got the biggest scare of all. The country is on red alert. And what a perfect time to open a new horror movie. That'd be the best show to take a girl to. The whole world's going to blow up anyway, so we should just do whatever we want. You know, last guy she went out was in her farm school. He did teach me a lot. What about? About my body. Think if the bomb were about to fall, she'd do it with me. <laughs> Wait till you see the feelers on this thing. Um, this is a little film uh, that he did early '90s uh, that I just fell in love with uh, uh, right away. Um, it's a film that really wears its heart on its sleeve uh, and is kind of this nostalgia piece that I think really kind of represents him growing up in a lot of ways. Uh, but it's a it's a coming of age comedy uh, set in the week of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, and so there is this kind of timeliness to it because there are moments in the background where people are freaking out because they think America is about to get blown to pieces, right? Uh, and so there's a lot of stuff where like people are raiding the supermarket to get toilet paper. And so uh, it, it was just kind of a funny timeliness to it that I didn't intentionally you know, realize would, would take place. And it wasn't a film I was familiar with. I was just trying to watch some more Joe Dante stuff that I hadn't seen just as kind of background for for talking about gremlins too it's this kid who uh is really into horror film uh, of the time and he gets to meet his idol uh, played by john goodman who's coming into their town in florida to uh, premiere his newest movie to try to get financing and and get it made uh and so 
uh, he's uh, John Goodman's playing this sort of Alfred Hitchcock slash William Castle uh, type of filmmaker who is uh, all about the show, right? He's you know William Castle. For those who don't know, uh, was behind a lot of like the fifties and sixties tech, three D glasses, or like electrovision or whatever. You know, the tingler. tingler. Yeah, the tingler. And 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 uh, John Goodman's character in Matinee is very much of that. His he's debuting his new film Mant, uh, which is about a man who becomes an ant, right? And so it's it's a love letter to all of those sorts of fifties and sixties sci fi movies of overgrown mon- uh, insect monsters and the fly, uh, and also a love letter to Hitchcock and Castle and, and that genre. Uh, but it's also a very sweet coming-of-age film uh, with a really rock-solid kid cast. And, and so uh, I really just charmed the pants off of me, honestly. And so uh, that's that's my second pick. And it's one, you know, after watching it, it's not streaming anymore. Uh, but I, I plan to buy it uh, as soon as I can. There's a really cool uh, Shout Factory uh, edition of it. Uh, out there uh, with a lot of special features, uh, extended scenes for the movie in the movie Mant, uh, and the movie in the movie Mant uh, is is hilarious. Uh, it's it's just a great parody slash satire. Uh, so if you have never seen Matinee Listener, uh, I highly recommend you seek it out and watch it. You can rent it uh, digitally, uh, and it's very much worth the money. I think. Matinee. I have actually never seen this movie, Arthur. You just planted a seed. I didn't. I had never heard of this movie before. So great recommendation. I, yeah, I hadn't heard of it either. Uh, and I think I was on Just Watch or something, uh, looking at Joe Dante's filmography to see what I could watch, and it just popped up. And I'm like, well, I don't have a lot of other options, so I'll, I'll give it a go. And yeah, just it it took me by surprise. I I, I just genuinely loved it. Yeah, I, I actually got to Arthur's house to record as he was uh, rewatching like the, the finale of the film, and uh, I was very taken with what little of it I saw. I was just immediately like, "What is this?" Uh, and there, there's a set piece involving the balcony of a theater, and I was like, oh, "Okay, well, clearly Joe Dante also worked in a theater with a balcony at one point, uh, much like myself, uh, because yeah, it was a set piece that I've pictured in my brain a hundred <laughs> times. So to see Joe Dante pull it off, I was like, "All right, well, there you go." Uh, yeah, very cool stuff. I, I I look forward to seeing it in, in its completion someday because yeah, our, Arthur has been singing its praises for months now. Ah, that's fantastic, and that's a that's another one of those like random gems. Maybe you wouldn't encounter uh, encounter otherwise, you know, if it wasn't for just the research you get, you're doing on the Good yeah. Trash Genrecast. Exactly. Let's go ahead and move on to our final selections today before we do a little bit of a rapid fire round to close us out. Uh, the last movie that comes to mind when you think about how you got through a year full of, uh, yeah, you know, fill in the cliche blank, unprecedented times, new normal. Dalton Stewart, what was your third film? Uh, well, the third film I have brought for discussion is a film that uh, the contract I have with my late father, the movie gods, and the podcast devil uh, require me to bring <laughs> this movie up uh, at least every third appearance I make on somebody else's uh, you know, platform. Uh, and that is the 1989 Rowdy Harrington classic, Roadhouse, starring Patrick Swayze, Kelly Lynch, Ben Gazzara, and of course, Sam the Man Elliot. Can I buy you guys a drink? Guess not. Patrick Swayze is Dalton. I thought you'd be bigger. Opinions vary. When he's around, anything can happen. How's a guy like you end up a bouncer? Just lucky, I guess. And usually does. If somebody gets in your face, I want you to be nice. Don't, don't be rude. 
Ask him to walk, but be nice. Help this gentleman to the door. Until it's time to not be nice. So says the fighting philosopher. Uh, I love this movie a great, great deal. Uh, I actually rewatched it this year because my wife wanted to rewatch it. Uh, it was not my pick, but I was very happy to, to revisit this film, which is uh, uh, obviously, if you've seen the film, is my namesake. Uh, it's a movie that uh, I, I make time for every couple of years. I don't, I don't. It's not on repeat by any stretch of the imagination. I saw this a lot as a child. I don't really need to revisit it that often. It's pretty fresh in my brain. Uh, but yeah, I, I hadn't seen it in quite a few years. Uh, and it, it was just it was it was exactly what I needed the night uh, uh, the wife and I watched it. Uh, Becca was just like, yeah, this is what I want to watch. I'm like, all right, that works for me. Cool. All right, let's do it. <laughs> it just I started like rattling off things we could watch. Uh, and that was one of them. And she immediately was like, yes, this is what we're watching. And uh, I was surprised. I, I shouldn't have been surprised every time I watch it. I'm delighted by it because it is kind of a a stunts classic. Truly, like I, it, it is packed to the gills with uh stunt folk that you recognize from other films uh it's even got uh the the front man uh from the band x uh the the la punk band from the 80s uh just a lot of like people in the margins of the film that make you go why do i recognize that person uh and again if you've never seen it it's just it's a very very charming action film i think there's a lot to like about it caleb i know you're, you're interested in the, the history we have with these films uh yeah this is a film that again is my namesake uh it came out the year before i was born i guess uh, the name dalton was already on my parents radar uh, and then they, they saw this film and i cemented it for them at least that's the way my mom tells it um yeah, it's a film that I've seen a ton. And it's just, again, it wasn't one I'd seen in a while. Uh, but I, I got back around to it this year. And uh, when you asked us what we wanted to talk about, what got us through the year, I was like, well, this, obviously. Um, it, you know, this this was a year where, uh, you know, it, it was difficult uh, to always keep a lid on, on what we were feeling. feeling. And uh, I, I think if there's lessons to take from the film Roadhouse, number one, uh, it's that uh, people have known what this country was about for at least the last 32 years or so. Um, th- this, this country is about rich people taking advantage of the handful of places that haven't been taken over by big box retailers and, and, and you know, big business and capital uh, and, and squeezing the lifeblood out of uh, people uh, who are just trying to get by. And also... Uh, it, it is, uh, you know, a, a tale of people who think they uh, that their resources put them above reproach uh, of regular folks. Uh, and it is also a film about uh, how you have to be nice until it's time not to be. Uh, much as Swayze uh, teaches us in this film, uh, we, you know, be, be the Christ you want to see in the world, baby. Sometimes you got to be real nice even when people are being jerks uh, until being nice is an option. And then you get to start flipping tables over. Uh, I, I think this movie's great. Caleb, I know you uh, have kind of mixed feelings on it. Uh, you, you, we discussed it together uh, many years ago now when you, uh, you were uh, one of the co-hosts on the Good Trash Genre cast. Uh, but uh, again, I think it is weirdly more resonant in 2020 uh, then it has any right to be. You know, Dalton, I, I, I think there's a couple different things here. Uh, firstly, I love that you your, your final selection here is a tried and true classic. Like, as in it's so tried and true for you that it is literally in your namesake. I would even argue in your blood at this point. I mean, come on, first generation Roadhouse, come on. It makes a uh, and a compelling case for nominative determinism. That's for damn sure. Um, and secondly, uh, yeah, I'm really glad you brought up that we talked about it a few years ago. I was really mixed when we talked about it on the genre cast. But I, I'll, I'll tell you this, though. I've thought about that film off and on. Like, it's not it's stuck with me in a lot of ways. So I, uh, I at some point might actually revisit it. So I'm glad you brought that up because there's a lot that there is a lot there. 
it's a film that does shockingly stick to the ribs. Yeah, it, it seems like a, a pretty, you know, by the by the numbers action film. Uh, but man, there's 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 some stuff there thematically, and I think even from like a just a, a choreography standpoint, I do think it's a little ahead of its time as far as the action and stunt choreography go. Um, it, you know, the camera work is is really capturing the meat of the fight in medium shots. You know, we're not doing. Uh, it really is where we find ourselves now in American action cinema. It, it was doing some of those techniques that were, you know, already common and, you know, and mainland Chinese and, and Hong Kong action filmmaking. Um, you know, these these wide shots where you can capture the the totality of people's fight scenes. Um, it, this was already doing that in 89, you know, before American films were really doing a lot of that. Um, it's got some truly magnificent squibs. I mean, just some of the grossest, gnarliest uh, fake gunshots you've ever seen. Uh, and again, just really like straight up uh, good fight choreography that looks like real fighting without with, you know, there's like a perceptibility to, to what people are doing on screen, but there is also a believability to it. So it's just clean enough and they, they make it look just exciting enough, make it look pretty enough to be cool to see on film, but it doesn't, you know, approach you know uh, there's a uh, what's the word i'm looking uh, verisimilitude that's the word i wanted to use ah there's there's that college education paying off uh to, to what you know real fighting looks like it, it is people being pretty straightforward you know having having their guard throw throwing jabs and low kicks and it's yeah there's not a whole lot of fanciness to the fight scenes but there is a a definite artistry to uh, again, they're they're barroom brawls. People are getting thrown through tables and stuff. Like it looks cool as heck. Uh, and, and then you know Swayze does uh, Tai Chi shirtless uh, by the lake, and who doesn't want to see that? Forgot about that. Oh my god, oh, what a great yeah. scene! What, what 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 truly one of the best scenes ever put to film. Dalton Stewart, I'm really glad that you picked that film. And uh, honestly, it, like I said, it's stuck around in my brain. And uh, the themes are definitely especially pertinent in 2020. So great final pick today. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, listeners, I'll, I'll do you one a solid here. I'll link the uh, the Good Trash Genre Cast episode in the show notes so you can check it out if you want to hear uh, what we thought about this movie circa four-ish years ago or so. Um, was, uh, if I recall, it was a lively conversation. But um, uh, Arthur Gordon, we'll move on to your final pick. What movie helped get you through the, the 2020 pandemic? Yeah, I was really struggling on this because I was like, I don't know that there's a lot of movies I've watched that have really resonated in, in, in that kind of way. Uh, and then I was like, oh, duh, this one. Uh, and it was I was going to cheat a little bit, uh, but I, I won't go fully into it. But it, it is the films of uh, the director, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but Hama Colette Serra, uh, the Spanish director um, who is most notable probably for the four thrillers he's done with uh, Liam Neeson. Uh, but I'm going back to his first film, which is House of Wax. You guys gonna do it tonight or what? Stop! What the hell is that? What does he want? Can we help you? Maybe we're on his property. I'm gonna turn your lights off. That guy was a freak. So let's get out of here. All right, let's go. Come on, he's gone. I don't think anyone's here. Hey, there's that house of wax. It is wax. Literally. This is weird. Whoa. Obviously, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of house of wax? 
Uh, the Paris, Paris Hilton. Hilton. There it is. Right. And so that's what I knew this is, is, is the Paris Hilton movie that had been panned and just derided. And I'd seen a little bit of positive buzz about it uh, in recent uh, years. And so I was on a whim one night on HBO Max. And I was like, I'm going to watch it for kicks and giggles, right? Because it's got to be one of those so bad it's good. Uh, it's, it's, it's not that. It is a good movie. It is just an absolutely solid horror film uh, that due to Paris's involvement, got an unfair shake, right? Uh, this, uh, Sarah, Colette Sarah is, uh, at, and after this, this is why I was going to cheat a little bit, because after this, I was like, I need to watch more of his stuff. Uh, and so I watched Orphan, which I loved, and then I watched uh, The Shallows, right? And that was one I actively sought out to buy. Um, oh, the Shallows is so good. I, I love finding a director who every time out, uh, you know, he doesn't hit a home run, but he 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 hits a, a, at least a, out to the out to the wall, right? And yeah, he's getting doubles yeah, pretty consistently. Yeah. And I think that House of Wax is just a strong debut, and the use of practical effects in it, uh, and specifically in the final sequence in, in the end of the film where the the house melts, uh, and all of this practical sets as this house is melting and they're trying to get out and they're being sucked into the floors and into the rooms and stuff like that it is incredible how it is executed and it is very much of that uh mid to late 90s early 2000s teen horror uh with those similar tropes and characters um but from just a purely filmmaking uh standpoint uh technically it's incredible uh and i really fell in love with it and wanted to seek out more of his stuff so i did uh, and I'd seen the commuter. I think I don't remember if Caleb, if you were there. I know Dust or Dalton was at that screener. Um, you know, when we, that was 2017, I think. Yeah, a couple of years back. In that yeah. neighborhood. I wrote a very short piece yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, uh, like yeah. A shared uh, thing. Uh, that was probably my first interaction with him. But just kind of discovering his stuff and uh, kicked off by House of Wax, which I would go to bat for any day of the week uh, as being a genuinely good movie. Um, uh, really kind of got me through the fall because that was when I watched House of Wax was late August. And then kind of over those next couple months, I was looking for his stuff, trying to watch more of it. Um, but I, I, I highly regard it. If you've never seen House of Wax, watch it. Uh, if you watched it when you were young and you were like, oh, Paris Helton, uh, watch it again. Because uh, she, even in this film, she's doing a good job, I think. I think she's doing a good performance and she's doing what is required of Paris Hilton being in a movie. right? And I, I think there's a very specific use of her uh, celebrity in this and the kind of type of, of person and character that media made her into be uh, is on display in this movie in a really good way. And and so I highly recommend House of Wax. Uh, again, it's one that I was just, you know, fell in love with. And so I, I think that uh, people should go see it because it's, 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 I will, I will go to the grave saying it is a great movie. Right. And, and that's where I stand with the House of Wax. I got to say, that is a wild card pick. I never would have guessed you would have thrown House of Wax out there. I'm really <laughs> glad that you brought it up, though, because um, I've actually... So Paris Hilton got a, a little bit of an unfair shake. I think you're right onto something, Arthur, when you say her involvement was really closely associated with the film. It became like the cool thing to hate on everything associated with that that style, that brand of personality or persona yeah. that she was essentially being paid to, to, to put on. And I, I just... Uh, I think she's underappreciated and maybe misunderstood um and i i'm 
you know, I hadn't even considered rewatching House of Wax specifically, but um, no, you've got me really curious because I just, yeah, it was one of those victims of like, well, she's in it. It's a low budget horror film. It's it's not even worth thinking about again. Um, so uh, thanks for bringing that to top. And it also makes me think like how many movies could we, you could almost do like a series on that, right? Like a series of movies everyone hated and forgot about that actually are pretty good, right? Yeah, like, yeah. There's, there's a lot of fun to that, I think. Now, Arthur, did they also, is this uh, Liam Neeson's collaborator on nonstop as well as nonstop in those four together? Yeah, Run All Night, The Commuter, and I uh, just had it pulled up. Uh, he do Unknown? Did. Yep, yep. That was the first one. So the unknown, unknown. That's the one I haven't seen. Uh, nonstop uh, Run All Night, uh, The Commuter, and he's actually working on Jungle Cruise right now, and he's doing Black Adam. This is the kind of director that I um I love Tony Scott. I, I think Tony Scott's one of the greats, and it's not because he puts out great, deep movies. He puts out great movies that are fun, exciting, and incredibly well made. And, and I really love Tony Scott, and I've really developed an affection for him over the last few years, I'd say. And, and I think Sarah falls in that same spot where he's he's not going to be making these Oscar winner movies, and I don't think he needs to be. He's making solid, engaging, entertaining films that are technically well made. And I think he's just a, yeah, I think he's just an. A plus storyteller, rock solid director, and so I'm really excited to see Jungle Cruise and Black Adam. I brought up nonstop Arthur because yeah, I mean you're, you're right. He's he's making these straight across plate films, but nonstop is like low key a pretty interesting post 9/11 movie. Uh, I won't spoil the plot of the film because it that it, it's weird that it goes there, uh, but it is very much a film that exists. I mean, it's about you know an, an action movie on an airplane after 9/11. Of course, it deals with some of that stuff, but uh, it. It's low key got some interesting stuff going on with the, the Skeet Ulrich character. Yeah, and I mean, like, there's just uh, again, there's something to. Um, so on, on a podcast I do with uh, Joshua Unruh on uh, DC animated programming's Batman the animated series, Superman the animated series, where we we we've started using the term workman like for like episodes that are sure. like they're not like the ever top five episodes are the ones people talk about what you watch it. You're like, wow, this was just really well done. It's a really great episode of uh, this, this particular TV show. And I think that there are a number of workmen like filmmakers and directors out there who are just consistently producing really great low key movies uh, that people just don't know the name of. Not everyone's going to be a Steven Spielberg or a Christopher Nolan or, or a David Fincher or a Catherine Bigelow. Again, I think it just speaks to one, like the, the great stuff you guys are doing on your show, uh, just that you're able to highlight people like that. Like, hey, there's this director. I hadn't, I didn't even know the guy's name. And you're saying, actually, House of Wax, not bad. Not only that, he's got these other movies that we know are pretty good. So check him out. So uh, great pick, Arthur. And uh, thanks for bringing us home on that selection. Uh, let's go ahead and move into our final rapid round. So the the rapid round, dun, 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 uh, I'm going to start a timer here in one moment, and it's going to run for 90 seconds. And in this 90 seconds, between the two of you, I want you to list off any other movies that you didn't mention, TV shows, could be video games, could even be like graphic novels or books, any sort of other media that you, you know, consumed i guess is the right word uh during 2020 that helps you get through the pandemic i'll let you guys work it out in the 90 seconds but i recommend starting with one of you and then switching to the other arthur you start us off and uh I'll, I'll, yeah we'll tag each other in but you, you get us started bud all right sounds good all righty we're starting that clock now 
All right. One of the first things I want to shout out uh, that I got into late in the year was a rewatch of King of the Hill on Hulu. Uh, just blowing me away. And as an adult, I watched it a lot as a kid, but it didn't, you know, always land outside of some of Bobby's stuff. But now watching it back, genius comedy at play, a great uh, satire and comedic work for Mike Judge. Go Dalton. Uh, Miranda July's Kajillionaire, a 2020 release that has a, an absolutely spectacular Evan Rachel Wood performance uh, and everybody else. I mean, just the, the four performances in that film are great. Uh, a film I rented and watched twice in the same weekend. Go, sure. Arthur. Uh, uh, so I actually pivoted hard away from movies in 2020 and really got into board games. Uh, so I'm going to talk about some board games that I think you should play when you can meet with people or with your family uh, or your uh, significant other. Uh, so I'm going to shout out Wingspan from Stonemeyer Games. You're collecting birds. It's great. Uh, the Quacks of Quedlinburg. You're a quack uh, potion makers. Uh, try not to let your pot explode. Uh, Legendary, a Marvel deck building game. It's a co-op game where you are putting all your favorite heroes together. Uh, go Dalton. Uh, Shit's Creek. I finally caught up with that, and I wanted more Emily Hampshire, so I checked her out in 12 Monkeys, the TV show. Also pretty damn good, and only four seasons. Arthur, go. Finally, uh, the other thing that made us through uh, because of our actual play podcast that is Monster of the Week by Michael Sands, uh, powered by the Apocalypse, and the Crit Show podcast, which is a great introduction to the system and a great story. Dalton. Speaking of games, Hades, the best game of 2020, a game about fighting your way out of hell, which is basically what 2020 was. And also speaking of 2020, uh, The Vast of Night. Uh, I'm going to keep going for an Oklahoma filmmaker. The Vast of Night is very good if you haven't watched it yet. And uh, yeah, give a little love uh, for for local uh, folks making good. Uh, It's on Amazon Prime, right? Amazon Prime. That is correct. I got the words Vast of Night out under 90 seconds. Especially because uh, (laughs) Craig Sanger, co-writer, that is friend of the show. Oh, there you go. Vast of Night really is one of my top five films of of last year. So great, Rex. Guys, that was impressive back and forth right there. And Arthur didn't even think about board games. So glad you brought that up because uh, uh, me and my girlfriend Lauren, who listeners heard on our soul recording, um, we do love a good board game. So great picks all. Uh, I know this ran long. Thank you so much for sticking around for for a little extra time to just talk about all the things 2020 and the movies that got you through it. Uh, so I'll turn it to you, Arthur, and then Dalton. Uh, Arthur, where can people keep up with you and your work online? Uh, yeah, as always, go to goodtrashmedia.com. Uh, easily find the episodes that we're putting out. And if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at the Arthur Gordon. If you follow uh, the media network at good underscore trash, um, not everything that comes out under umbrella ends up with a website posting, but we do make sure to uh, get links out to everything that's coming out. So obviously our, our show, the good trash honor cast, but also uh, the praise down with Heath and Alex uh, twilight with Kirsten and Aaron, uh, which uh, Arthur already mentioned uh, the wheel of Randy uh, hosted by Dan Wade, which is a very good uh, podcast covering the work of Randy Newman. Uh, and again, Arthur mentioned the website, there's older shows, uh, you know, uh, the, the weekly review show that you two did together, uh, Back to the Movies. Um, our, our, my friend Wampus Reynolds uh, did a, a podcast breaking down uh, called a, a Loose Five, where he broke open uh, the, uh, the five-minute sets done on late-night shows. Um, yeah, at good underscore trash, you, you can make sure that all, all the links to all the, the podcasts coming out under our umbrella are, are there. Uh, but again, yeah, if you're not on Twitter, stay off. Do yourself a favor. Uh, as Arthur said, goodtrashmedia.com. Uh, we alluded to our, our actual play podcast that's over on patreon.com forward slash gtm 
them. And then I'm if for some ungodly reason you've uh, listened to this and want to follow me personally, I'm at doll underscore stew. Uh, over on Twitter. Uh, all right. And for those of you who uh, really just want to revisit Game of Thrones, you can ask, actually find the cast beyond the wall because everyone's anxious to revisit oh, yeah. Game of Thrones. It ended so well that people can't wait to see it again. Uh, you can you can also find the cast beyond the wall over at Good Trash Media as well. Um, again, really uh, thrilled to, to bring that home with you guys. So um, Arthur and Dalton, uh, man, it's been so good seeing you guys today. Seriously. And I'm not saying that just for show. That's been like, I, we haven't seen each other probably close to a year at this point. Um, yeah. So it's just been good getting some FaceTime via the, the zoom call and record a podcast like the, the good old days. Uh, but before we close out, do either of you have any closing thoughts about either the three films or any other, any other things you'd like to lay out there about good trash media? Um, yeah, if you go to at the praise down, uh, their, their Twitter account, I know I mentioned, just mentioned their show. Um, if, if you don't know, listener, the praise down is a show, uh, hosted by two, uh, fellows who grew up in the church and are, you know, just kind of, you know, are of an indeterminate place currently in their spiritual life is usually what they say. Uh, but they usually are talking about Christian media, uh, or things within that orbit. Uh, it, it's a really fun podcast, but if you go over to their their Twitter page at the Praise Down, their pinned tweet uh, is an open invite to their Discord server, and uh, I just think it's one of the best places on the internet. I really do. Uh, it's a really supportive community. Uh, tries to look out for one another, uh, and, and also there's lots of fun stuff going on in there. Uh, you know, people playing video games together, watching movies together. Um, Alex Sanchez, uh, one of the well, not one of, is was declared at one point the funniest person in Oklahoma City, uh, and, and of course Heath Huffman, uh, his co-host, my former roommate, is uh, also very very funny as well. But uh, Alex has started doing uh, some Twitch streaming, uh, and if you want to, you know, just be hanging out with him, you know, you don't have to go on Twitch. He's he's going to be in the the Discord uh, usually when he's uh, streaming something. But uh, yeah, if if that aspect of uh, online content or whatever uh, appeals to you, then yeah, that, that's that's available to you as well. Arthur Gordon and Dalton Stewart, you guys that are the co-hosts of the Good Trash Genre Cast and Good Trash Media co-founders, uh, and and like and I say this sincerely, like I really think you guys are one of the pillars of Oklahoma's film and TV podcast community. You guys have a really uh, niche but really strong group of folks over there who are just having a lot of fun talking about movies, whether it's on social media apparently on Discord uh, or on the podcast. So, um, Arthur, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Dalton, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us, man. It was, it was a blast. Thank you for tuning into the third part of our ongoing series on three films that got you through the 2020 pandemic with today's special guests, Arthur Gordon and Dalton Stewart from the Good Trash Media Network. Stay tuned to hear who we'll be talking with next week. Now, if you would like to participate and be heard in this series, please consider sending me your three films that got you through the uh, 2020 pandemic to our email address, thecinematropolis at gmail.com. You can send us your picks to have a chance to have them read on the show later in the series. And I'd also like to request that if you enjoyed today's conversation with Arthur and Dalton, please rate the podcast and subscribe on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow all of the work at The Cinematropolis by following us on Twitter at The Cinematrop or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Cinematropolis. And of course, if you want to keep up with my work or just my takes on film, television, video games, you can follow me on Twitter at C Masters Talk. That is letter C Masters Talk. 
Join me next week when I sit down with film studies educator, film critic, and Ward 2 city council person in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, James Cooper. I'll be talking with James about his three film selections, as well as how the pandemic impacted his ability to educate students on film studies uh, throughout the especially tumultuous year. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you again next time.